Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, and I'm going to be talking about the modern church and what is not the modern church. And the reason I got onto that topic, I was going to do a study of Zephaniah, and I've been working on that pretty intensely, but uh, it is just getting deeper and deeper into Zephaniah because there are so many layers to that particular prophet. And uh, I'm I'm seeing connections throughout the, the text, so I want to bring all those together before I release that. But uh, I also ran into a variety of events this week. Uh, I've been going over some seminary lesson plans that people pay big money to go to a seminary to supposedly learn to be a minister of the church established by Jesus Christ. And I went to a seminary years and years ago. It was a Catholic seminary directly under the auspices of the Pope, but not the Jesuits. And uh, I I met a couple of people there. I met a lot of different priests there, but I met a couple of priests that were a little bit out of the out of what you would consider to be the norm. It was a missionary society, and these guys had actually stood the test of their faith, and will. I'll mention some of the things about that. They they uh, were in, prisoners of the Communist Chinese during the revolution, the original revolution, and tortured and uh, and hunted down and uh, saw people murdered in front of them for their faith in the religion that they had been preaching. And, of course, one of the things that astounded me over the years is I saw that uh, when the Russians were trying to subdue the people of Afghanistan so that they could get a pipeline uh, south and then also get access to the minerals and everything that are in Afghanistan, they were having a heck of a time. And, of course, the United States was sending secretly uh, equipment to the Afghan uh underground uh, that eventually became, a lot of them became terrorists that was making life miserable for the Russians. There were two Russian soldiers that were captured and they were offered that they could live if they would convert and become Muslims. If they chose not to, they were going to execute them. They had no way of putting them in prison or sending them to a camp. These people are hiding in the mountains and caves. And uh, they were the enemy of the people of Afghan. And uh, they just saw them as invaders and murderers of their society. And so anyway, they would not convert. They remained loyal to the communist government of the Soviet Union. And... uh, that night they had their throats slit in an execution style. But they could have converted and they would have lived. But they remain faithful to their government. And so you, you look at the number of martyrs throughout the... They literally were martyred for their faith in their government, their allegiance to their government. Faith and allegiance are very similar words. There's not much difference between them. 
So what happens is that we want to believe in something that's bigger than us. At least some of, even an atheist wants to believe in something bigger than him, which is atheism. Atheism is the religion that he accepts. He is very faithful to his allegiance to uh, atheism, thinking there is no God because, well, for a variety of reasons. Some often it's very popular amongst intellectuals to be an atheist. Uh, sometimes you, people are just atheists because they don't want to argue with all the other atheists in their, <laughs> in, in the world in which they live. Uh, a lot of atheists are very angry at religion, and I can understand that because they feel betrayed by religion and, uh, and the hypocrisy of religion. Uh, we just heard a story of somebody who is molesting children and supposedly cared a great deal about children. And we find that amongst, you know, priests and amongst uh, even rabbis and ministers that uh, sometimes they abuse the power that people give them. But uh, anyway, back to the seminary lesson that I'm reading. This is a Protestant seminary lesson, and I'm just going through the different study programs and, and the way in which they ask questions and the way in which they supposedly guide you on your journey uh, and tell you the truth I mean the one word kept coming to mind as I was reading this is what a bunch of claptrap and what 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 is claptrap <laughs> so uh, you know it's a word I've used and actually I have a pretty good definition in my mind of the word claptrap but um uh, I thought, well, I'm going to look that up because that, uh, where did that word actually come from? And it's actually uh, the first use of it is back in 1799, and uh, basically it was an English word. And but it has to do with uh, contrived pretense, uh, you know, false information to, to make you think that something is true and uh, to your benefit that is not true. Or think something about something that is tr- not true. And uh, that, of course, is what I see in the modern seminary, in the modern church even. Is that they're presenting an image of Christ and they're getting people to be faithful to that image of Christ that they create. And just as those Russian soldiers would rather die than give up their faith and allegiance to their country. And there may be a lot of things enmeshed in that. Maybe they had family and and they just could not find it in themselves to betray uh, their homeland. And were willing to die for this communist regime that was really holding everybody in the Soviet Union captives. They, they were an oppressive regime. I mean, any country that has to put a wall around their country to keep people in, uh, there's something wrong. Uh, it, they guard their borders, not because people are trying to get into their country, but people are trying to get out of their country. <laughs> That's a dead giveaway that something's wrong. I mean, that in essence is the spirit that you find in cultism. Cults, once you become a member of a cult, they do not want to let you go. They actually try to keep you from becoming involved with other people. Uh, you 
if you're in a cultish church, you cannot go to other churches. You're forbidden to go to other churches. And a lot of these cults, they even they forbid their people to even call home and to contact their family. And what they're trying to do is isolate you and keep you under the control of their institution or their leaders. You know, like the Jim Jones. Take you out into the wilderness and feed you Kool-Aid. And people were drinking the Kool-Aid and they were seeing people dropping dead around them. And they were still lining up to get the Kool-Aid. And, uh, of course, we have similar things going on today in the world. We've got... 19,000 people dead from taking the vaccination, according to VAERS, which admits that it probably only has about 10% of the cases, or 1% actually is what they say on their website, on the open VAERS, only about 1% of the cases actually gets reported. Well, if 1% is 19,000, there's actually been 1.9 million people died from the vaccination. Now, can I prove that? No, that that's just the data at Open Bears. Uh, that 1.9 people have died from the vaccination. And I actually know people that have died from the vaccination. And I know people that appear to have died from the vaccination several months after getting it. Uh, of the same symptoms, uh, heart failure or heart uh, uh, problems, which... Uh, you know, it is associated with this spike protein. So, but yet still people are going around lining up to get it. And and people are saying, well, I mean, don't you want to make everybody else safe? Well, how in the world does it make you safe? Because both Pfizer and Moderna admit, and even the CDC has published, that it does not make you immune to the virus. It only reduces your symptoms when you get it, you can still get it, you can still carry it, you can still pass it on to other people. And you can also create variants because you're still getting it and you're, well, maybe carry it for longer with le- because you have less symptoms. You're more likely to spread it because with less symptoms, you're out there in the workplace spreading the virus. So anyway, all that's going on all the time and yet people are still lining up. And and part of that is the media, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that people will not accept the actual science or facts. They don't even want to hear them. They don't even want to look them up. Well, this is even more true about Christianity and Christ. And so what we have today is 40,000 different denominations. Almost every one of them is preaching practices contrary to what Christ commanded that his followers do. Contrary to what he instructed his followers to follow. And yet they think and will even die for their faith. They they will rather than repent or rather than recant their faith, they will actually allow themselves to be martyred for their faith. But, of course, the people at Jim Jones's, um, maybe many of you, you have to just Google Jim Jones. I'm not going to go into the character, but Jim Jones took all kinds of people out into the wildernesses of uh, South America and uh, 
then when it looked like his system was going to collapse, his uh, uh, because people were finding out more and more what was going on, he got everybody to drink Kool-Aid that was full of, I mean, a 55-gallon drum of Kool-Aid that was full of poison. And there were just dead people everywhere. I don't remember exactly how many people died, but, I mean, I saw aerial photos, and there were just bodies laying everywhere. And some people escaped. Some kids escaped into the wilderness and uh, into the jungles and eventually survived, and they've written books about it. But anyway, the, the reality was is that, like I said, people saw that people were dying just after drinking the Kool-Aid because everybody couldn't get it at once. And they continued to go up. They denied seeing the problem and continued to go. Many of the things were, that were going on in the Jim Jones uh, cult group, uh, there were all kinds of signs that this was bad and you had to get out of there. You had to get away. You had to get your children away. But people didn't do it. And uh, to some degree, that was difficult to do because now you're out in the jungle and they actually had guns to keep you there. And uh, But it is the real prison was the prison of the mind that that all of us can be subject to. And of course, there's all kinds of uh, uh, Stockholm syndromes and everything where people will be captured by somebody, mistreated by somebody, uh, you know, as a, as a kidnapped victim. And within a very short period of time, the, the captive is now defending their prison guards, their, their captors, and actually becoming like them and, uh, and risking their life for the very person that has imprisoned them and abused them. And you wonder, well, how, how can we do that? How, how can we know our own minds? How can we know what is true? How can we know what is right if we can be manipulated so much? And these obvious cases are exactly that. They are obvious. And... Uh, we standing on the outside can say, oh, that, that person is clearly uh, under some sort of mind control or whatever. You know, one of the things that a lot of people think that we here who are preaching at His Holy Church are a cult. Well, is that a cult? Because it's different than what they believe or something. Or they hear us say things that they've never heard before, so it must be a cult. Because the church I go to always tells me the truth. Well, you know, we people are shocked when we say, we don't tell you not to go to other churches. We tell you that we have no right to tell you where you can go and where you can't go. What church you should go to, what person you should listen to. We, we don't have any power to tell you that because we do not exercise authority one over the other. And they're shocked. Uh well, why are they so shocked? Well, because their church doesn't want you going to other churches. Their church doesn't want you reading certain material. Their church wants to keep you faithful to their church. We want you to be faithful to Christ. We don't want to imprison you. 
We don't want to capture your mind. We want to you to see the light, see the truth, see the truth about Christ and what Christ was really doing. If all the people who say they are Christians today were doing what Christ said to do, they would not be experiencing the loss of liberty and the freedoms that they are now suffering under in all over the world. You know, somebody sent me something uh, just uh, today about um, uh, the the fact that they give maternity leave in different countries. And they had a, a lot of different countries listed off that uh, can get this maternity leave. And uh, what was it? Australia, I think they got 18 weeks of maternity leave, paid maternity leave. Well, yeah, that's great. And the United States has none. No maternity leave. Uh, but they want to change that, of course. But uh, the reality is is that they also are rounding up people who simply talk to somebody who tested positive for COVID. And they're putting the COVID person, supposedly COVID, they may not have any symptoms, they just tested positive, and anybody they talked to or, or, or came into contact with into quarantine camps, rounding them up. Well, that would be really convenient for rounding up political dissidents. You know, like uh, you're at a rally or a protest and somebody tested positive at the protest. You were at the protest. All the protesters go to a quarantine camp. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy in Australia. But so the government that can give you everything that you want can also take away everything that you have. And give it, the government that offers you freedom from personal responsibility, which is what most governments are doing, that's what socialism does, uh, that is, is the government that can take away all your rights to choose and you become a thing. You know, in that society, in that, under that rulership. Because you ask the government to take away from your neighbors so that you could have free stuff. That's what socialism is all about. Everybody talks about it being control of the means of production. Well, you're the means of production. You know, it's not just the businesses and the corporations. It's the people that they want control of. What... Christ came to do is set the captive free. And so if your church is not setting you free, then your church is not the church established by Christ. If it's putting all kinds of criteria, I mean, we have some criteria on us, like we have the Ten Commandments, you know, and they're all summed up in the two commandments given to us by Christ, is that we have to love God, which is the giver of life, and love our neighbor as ourself. Well, we may need to define that word love, and we may need to define the word God. Somebody sent me something that's supposedly two guys are are looking into revealing the name of God. And, of course, some people will tell you the name of God is Yahweh or Yahweh. But the name of God is the character of God. And the character of God 
gave you the right to choose. Right away, gave you the right to choose. You really don't choose about everything, but you choose about a couple of things, and after that, everything is kind of predestined based on your choice. Based on your choice. I'm not talking about predestined in time. But if you choose to go a certain pathway in your life, this will lead you to a certain place in your life. If you choose another pathway, that will lead you to another place. You don't get to make all kinds of choices. I mean, the guys who chose to become soldiers, if they did, they may have been drafted in the Soviet Union military, were indoctrinated enough that they were willing to die rather than convert to uh, the Muslim religion. And, you know, they knew that If they didn't, they they would be executed. And they chose execution. They remained loyal to what they knew, what they believed. But how did they get to the place where they believed what they believed? And that's what we see in religions. We see that in uh, countries and loyalties of countries that we have faith in this. And even even the... uh, I don't know of a, I can't think of a situation, but even the atheist will probably die for his faith in atheism. You know, I always think it's funny when we talk about atheists, and most people, we won't go into it here because we don't have enough time in this, this section, but Christians were arrested, imprisoned, persecuted for atheism. That's why Christians were off in the Roman Empire. Their crime was atheism. Because they had no God. Well, they did have a God. They professed this God, Yahweh, God the Father, whatever you want to call. But to the Roman point of view, that meant you had no God because they couldn't see God the Father. And that you needed to have a God that you saw. Now, why was that important? Because all the social welfare of the Roman government was provided through the temples. And you got your social welfare based on what temple you signed up with. And if you didn't sign up with any temple, that ended up becoming a crime. Because you weren't signing up with some system of social welfare. And Herod had at least two systems like that going. And most people don't understand what it was. But you actually got baptized into at least one of them. Or not. But anyway, we'll talk more about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. When uh, when uh, John the Baptist was preaching the kingdom of God was at hand... And that we should be seeking it after we repent. And, of course, repenting meant to think differently. He was evidently going against the orthodox teachings of religion of his time. And that's why repentance is why I I specifically state the word repentance has to do with thinking differently. Because evidently the way people were thinking under the Pharisees or the Sadducees or even the Zealots was not the way they should be thinking. They needed to think differently than those individuals thought. Now a lot of people believe that 
John the Baptist was an Essene, but it's very difficult to find out exactly what the Essenes thought because the Essenes didn't call themselves Essenes. That's the name we put on them to try to categorize people that had certain ideas into a singular group called the Essenes. And, and we do the same thing today. We have all these Christian churches, and there's quite a variety of them. But what do they all believe? That Well, they all believe in Jesus, but they don't all believe in the same Jesus. Well, if you don't believe in the same Jesus, you, if you don't believe in the real Jesus, you're not really a Christian. You may have faith in the image of Christ that has been created in your mind by ministers. You know, I actually, uh, during the break, I, I just looked up seminary lessons. Actually, I typed in, typing with one hand, I typed in the... <laughs> <laughs> see if I get the same. Yeah, I, they, they'll give me the same list. But uh, by typing in seminary lessons, they as, so I went down and clicked on the first four or five different uh, uh, programs that give you seminary lessons. And the first four, at least, were Mormons, Church of the Latter-day Saints. So that was kind of interesting that they, they came up with the most number of seminary plans. And, of course, they have study plans that you can look up. There was finally another one that uh, offers you a set of four lesson plans. And uh, the concept, it says here, is the purpose of this lesson is to challenge participants to consider their own wants and desires and to begin to think, that would be thinking differently, about how the meeting of those wants and desires give way to their complicity with systems of injustice surrounding the global food crisis. So it sounds like the, this seminary is kind of a bunch of social justice warriors. I don't know, they're looking for the injustices uh, to do something about that, and but they start with your desires, and and that's somewhat harmless. We would do the same thing if somebody wanted to come out here and study uh, what we have to share. You don't have to come out here. As a matter of fact, we don't necessarily encourage people. We we want you to bloom where you're planted, and we have plenty of information at preparing you at hisholychurch.org, and uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of audios and videos that will tell you what we see as the teachings of Christ. And you can look at it yourself, and we give you lots of reasons, lots of footnotes, uh, lots of references to Christ, which is, like I pointed out when I was looking at a lot of different church doctrines, I would see pages and pages and pages of church doctrines that quoted Christ almost only 2% of the time. And many of their doctrines, although they sounded like they were in conformity to Christ, I can show you that almost every denomination today, like I said at the beginning of the show, preaches practices that are contrary to the practice of pure religion. Absolutely in opposition to the practice of pure religion. And also in opposition to what Christ said we were not to be like. Almost every one of the denominations says that what Christ said we were not to be like 
is okay in their church, including the Church of Latter-day Saints and the Catholic Church and the Presbyterians and, and uh, you know, Lutherans, Assembly of God, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, all of these guys preach that it is okay to do the opposite of what Christ said for us to do and not do. And now that's a radical statement. A lot of people say, well, that's ridiculous. But we will show you, and we have shown, and we show on our pages over and over again, that that is the case. That all these churches say that Jesus said it was okay. Now, wait for it. (laughs) It's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through the agency of governments that exercise authority one over the other. It's okay to apply for benefits from men who call themselves benefactors, but are not really benefactors. They don't really give you any benefits, except what they take away from your neighbor by force. You know, through taxation or borrow against the future of those individuals who are bound in cult systems of government. Now, I say cult systems of government. I just heard Jordan Peterson talking uh, this week. Actually, I guess it was from a podcast with uh, uh, Dave Rubin. I only watched a little part of it. But he was saying that you can't leave Canada... Unless you're vaccinated. And you can't come back to Canada unless you're vaccinated. Wow. And there's talking. Well, we know in Australia you can't go from state to state in places in Australia unless you're vaccinated. And so that's pretty cultish. You, you, can't, you can't go out unless you join the Church of Fauci and believe in a... Vaccinate, vaccination, supposed vaccination and injection that has never been tested with long-term animal studies, which is almost every other vaccination that has been required for a 100 years, but not with this one. And yet this is also an absolutely new kind of vaccination that they admit, all of them admit, it does not give you immunity to the disease. You can still get the the virus. You can still... Uh, produce a viral load, sometimes 200 times what a normal person would produce, and you can still contaminate other people with this, this supposed virus. And, uh, so, and now we are seeing in some countries 70 to 80 percent of the hospitalizations and, and deaths, 60 to 70 to 80 percent of the hospitalizations and death are people that have been vaccinated. We know in the data that coming out of uh, Great Britain that it's like 72 percent of the uh, people who die are fully vaccinated. Wow. Wow. Now, that percentage is obviously going to go up if they've had at least one vaccination because that's not a person counted as fully vaccinated. So, anyway, we see a lot of people, and I see a lot of backlash, and people said that we're being fooled, and the media has fooled us, and the 
And, uh, you know, it's nothing more, I mean, just on the news just before the show that uh, there's there are people out there saying this is nothing more than a bad flu, and yet it's used as a totalitarian control agent. It has devastated economies around the world. Thousands, tens of thousands of people are going hungry, even starving. So you, you talk about this uh, this challenge of injustices surrounding global food crisis. The shutdown is going to create a global food crisis like we have not seen in centuries. And uh, it, it, it's obvious. I mean, they're, they're telling it. But if you're just watching CNN, you're not hearing that. Because you know? uh, you're listening at the wrong mountain of Samaria, the wrong information. Those of you who have been listening to the show regularly know that the mountains of Samaria is the source of... It is those people gathered together to provide you with the truth. You know, just as I was talking about the guy who was in charge of the temple who could go around and make sure that all the guards were doing what they were supposed to do. He was the mountain of the house. That's what they called him. And because he was in charge of all the men that protected the house of God. Which, of course, originally was a tent. But anyway, so... Let's shifting gears a little bit here. So we set the scene that people have a lot of ideas that just may not be true. And they get them from a lot of people who don't really know what they're talking about. And they have a cognitive dissonance that they want to believe that they know already. And they go to schools that convince them that you know already and what we tell you is true. And you become loyal to the more you invest time and energy... And your life into the the cultish rulers of the belief that you are pursuing, the more you are bound by it. See, the people of at Jim Jones's uh, little group, a lot of them had given up all their assets, they given up all their property and their savings, and were now being fed and cared for by the Jim Jones people. So now, if they escaped into the jungle. The, uh, they had to get through the jungle and when they finally got to civilization outside of the jungle they didn't have anything anymore they all giving it to Jim Jones well that's actually what we'll see in the prophecies of Zephaniah is that it says you're not going to own anything you're going to build houses but you're not going to own them they're not going to be your houses they're going to belong to somebody else you know, like uh, Klaus Schwab says, you will own nothing and you will be happy. <laughs> you know, so, and people are trying to figure out what to do about it. And I see all kinds of people talking on Facebook and other social medias trying to figure out what to do about this, this, this totalitarianism. Well, Christ told you 2,000 years ago what to do. And, and 150 years before him, people like uh, Plutarch are... Polybius, 150 years before Plutarch was just about the time of the early church, they were telling you that the, the, these people who grant you gifts, gratuities, and benefits are going to destroy liberty. Uh, they're going to alter you, degenerate you if you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. You're going to degenerate. Into perfect savages and find once more a monarch and a king. All this while people are supposedly teaching you Christianity. 
And, you know, and back to that, you know, the 26 weeks of, uh, of uh, maternity leave in Australia. And then, yeah, you may have your maternity leave in a concentration camp because you came into contact with somebody with COVID, uh, supposedly with COVID. So anyway, we see all these things going on around the world and we, and, and people don't know what to do about it. Well, according to similar things, similar totalitarian things, like I said, Herod had started two different system, excuse me, two different temple systems. He started the one in Jerusalem for the Jews, but he also started another one for other people, other Greeks and Romans, which was the Temple of Roma. He built the Temple of Roma and he built the Temple of Jerusalem. So he built these two different temples. Well, the the Jews could go to the Temple of Jerusalem and the other people who didn't like some of the practices of the Jews could join the Temple of Roma. And when you joined, you had to pay in. They're kind of like insurance companies. In the Temple of Jerusalem, you would get baptized. When you join, that's what the laver was for out in front of the temple. Been there for years and years and years. That you would wash up. They've been doing this in Sinai. And when you got this bathing, this washing up, this baptism, then you were a part of this system. And they joined the system at Sinai and they joined the system under Herod. There was a difference between the system at the foot of Mount Sinai from that system that was set up by Herod before Christ was born. Because that's he was setting up that system back in those early days. And the difference was your sacrifice to the temple was compelled under Herod. Under Moses, it was a free will offering. Now, over a period of time, Israel had slipped in and out of this idea of free will offerings and not free will offerings. And that's what the prophets are talking about. If you're in a system where you're offering to take care of, you know, the hungry, the needy, the widows, the orphans of society, those people who fall on want. If what you pay into that is a compelled offering, you are in captivity. That's just a no-brainer. I, you shouldn't even have to. I shouldn't even have to explain that. But people will say, well, "Wait, wait a minute. That would mean I'm, I'm back in the bondage of Egypt." <laughs> yeah, except it's worse for you in the bondage of Egypt. You only had to pay in twenty percent total, at least originally. That's the way it was. It it altered over a period of time, but it was still that way when Mubarak was the president of Egypt. Income tax was only twenty percent. That was your sacrifice to the government. It was forced, but it was only 20%. But in Israel, up until the time of King Saul, nobody was forcing a sacrifice. Now, people did set up other altars, what they called, you know, uh, strange women uh, or strange garments. That These are the words that they use uh, to describe this shifting of the system of social welfare through charity, through free will offerings, and a system of social welfare through compelled offerings. 
One is to the system of Baal or the Nicolaitans, and the other one is a system of love and charity. And both of them require faith. One refers to that faith as allegiance, and the other one refers to it simply as faith, because it's a day-to-day choice of faith. See, if it's allegiance, then, you know, your your choices aren't yours anymore. Somebody else will tell you time to give, and they'll tell you how much to give. And if you don't give the right amount, they will punish you. That's captivity. That's bondage. You're not free if you're living in any kind of condition similar to that. You have to remember, Israel was a government. It was a peculiar kind of government because it was based on free will offerings. Not always. Like I said, Saul forced an offering. He was Samuel said he was foolish for doing that. And he said his kingdom would not stand because he began to force this offering. That rule is part of the identity of God. That if you take away the choice of your neighbor, your choices will be taken away as well. And see, for years, Australians thought it was okay to force my neighbor to contribute so I can have free school, free health care, free Medicare, Medicaid. They probably call it something else. Um, That was okay. And the churches all said, well, that's okay. The government can force the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of society. You know, widows and orphans and needy of society. That's not pure religion. According to James, you had to do it unspotted by the world, and the word he uses world is constitutional order and system of government. You see how it all kind of fits together? Well, that's, that, I could, I could be telling that to people, and you will see the deer in the headlight look coming back at you. Because what I'm saying says that what they have been believing is not true. They've been thinking it was okay to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. In other words, it was okay to take a bite out of one another as long as we use the teeth of government to take that bite. You know, and we'll we'll stray here just for a minute. I'm going to do a little rabbit trail here. You know, Margaret Mead, she's a famous anthropologist, a very bright woman, woman in many ways. And she was asked once, what is the earliest sign of civilization? One of her students, you know, wanted to know and expected, you know, it would be like uh, clay pots or uh, grinding stones or maybe some kind of weapons, you know, fashioning tools, you know. What is the earliest sign of civilization? And, and supposedly, Margaret Mead thought about it for, for a moment and she said... Uh, a healed femur bone. And they thought, like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was a sign of civilization. And, and that was a very astute observation. And she explained it. You know, the, this femur bone, this is the, you know, the longest bone in, in your leg there. Actually, it's the longest bone in your body. And it links the hip to the knee. And if your femur bone breaks in the wild, you're in a lot of trouble. You know, whether you're an animal or a man or whatever, I mean, you can't walk. It's got to heal back, and it's going to take a long time to heal back. And chances are you're not going to be able to survive while it's healing back. 
unless somebody helps you. In a society without uh, the benefits of modern medicine, it takes about six weeks, they say, of rest for this uh, fractured femur to heal. So somebody's got to bring you food. Somebody's got to take care of you. Somebody's got to care about you enough to do that. And, and while they're doing that, you know, if, if you're a monkey and you break your femur bone, you're, you're, you're going to die. The monkeys aren't going to carry you around. Chances are. But this is a sign of civilization that people actually started caring about others and would take their own time and, and, and self and, and gather food for you and protect you and bring stuff to you and, so that you would live. This is an essential part of humanity. I don't really like to use the word civilization, but we'll say humanity. And that's what Moses was setting up, is that you had to take care of one another. And of course, you, you should do that in the family to begin with. And But sometimes the family can't handle the things that are so bad that the family can't fix all these things. And so you, you had to have other families that would come to your aid. And so that's what Moses was setting up. I mean, they weren't going to have the leeks and onions and the, and the benefits of the Pharaoh anymore. I mean, that's how they got into bondage to begin with is that they ran out of food and they needed food. And they made a deal. One-fifth of my labor is going to belong to the government. And I will be in this bondage of Egypt. But I will live. And uh, there was a ceiling limit. It could only be one-fifth. And... You know, you make, like I said, under Mubarak, you can make a million dollars. You still only owe 20% income tax. And that's that's the way they had set it up. It had been that way in Egypt for years and years. I don't know what it is now. But uh, the reality is that's what Moses was setting up. But it was a voluntary system, free will offerings. Jesus was doing the same thing. Setting up a system of charity, faith, hope, and charity. And he explained that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because this is what, Jesus, this is why it was so important, in my opinion, for a lot of people to understand that Jesus was not a poor carpenter. carpenter. He was actually a very wealthy family. His, uh, Joseph was probably a stone contractor. Near Caesarea, probably made lots of money. He went to Egypt. That's supposedly what he did in Egypt, according to apocryphal writings. But they want you to believe that he was poor. No, he was rich. And it says in the Bible he was rich. I mean, Paul writes, though he was rich, he made himself poor. He took the wealth that he had and he gave it away. He didn't live in opulence like Herod and the high priests. But he voluntarily gave it away. And unless you eat his bread and drink his blood, eat his flesh and drink his blood, that's what he's talking about, do it the way he's doing it, care about others enough to sacrifice yourself, to lay down your life for others, you're not going to know the name of the Father. You're not going to know the name of God. You can say Yahweh, you can say Yadavai, you can... You can say you believe in Jesus, but if you're not doing it that way, you're not doing it according to the ways of Jesus. 
You're doing it contrary to the ways of Jesus. And most all these churches depend more on governments than on charity. So, you tell me who's in apostasy. Anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom after this brief break. So, stay tuned. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what is the right church? What is this church? Well, of course, the word church is from the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out. It doesn't mean an assembly. It means a called out uh, group that might be assembled, but basically the essentialness of ekklesia is that called out. That is what it is. Yeah, they might form a group, but it doesn't have anything to do with the six or seven other Greek words that would mean a congregation or a group or an assembly. It has to do with being called out. And the apostles were called out. They were the church. The Levites were called out. They were the church. What were they supposed to do? They were to provide a social welfare system operating by charity, not by force. Because that's how you were to be bound together. Not Gideon was not going to rule over you. Moses was not going to rule over you, although he had a right to do so. Jesus was not going to rule over you. This makes them peculiar. They're not trying to take away your choice. They're trying to give you choice. Your choice is to take care of the needy of your society, to lay down your life for the needy of society in as a choice. Otherwise, you become this thing, this object, this human resource which you have done because all the nations have gone back into the captivity of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt. They have gone back there because they were willing to take a bite out of one another and therefore they have been devoured. And they have done this while Christian churches, so-called, quote, quote, Christian churches have been supposedly preaching, quote, quote, Jesus Christ. But it's not the real Jesus Christ. Because if it was the real Jesus Christ, you would know that you were not to covet your neighbor's goods. You were to love your neighbor. Same word that is translated love is also translated charity. You're to take care of your neighbor through faith, hope, and charity. And the churches at one time used to do that. To a greater or lesser degree. But it wasn't the government that was doing it. It was the churches. But you have accepted the lie that it is okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who call themselves benefactors but are really just authoritarian rulers. Gestapo rulers, you can call them. I mean, we're starting to use the word Gestapo. But uh, the reality is, is that you're the Gestapo. And now that you know that all these benefits are what's degenerating society, degenerating civilization, if we're going to use that word civilization, then what are you going to do about it? Well, repent, think differently, gather together in a way in which you can take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. This is your only hope, is to do believe in the real Jesus Christ and the real message of Jesus Christ, the real message of John the Baptist, 
Like I said, if you joined Herod's system, you would get a baptism at the laver or at some local synagogue. You would sign up and then you had to pay in. And if you didn't pay in, you if you weren't registered, you didn't have to pay in. And the apostles were idiotes. They were unregistered. That's what the word means. And some people thought to be unregistered is such a stupid thing that that word became the source of the word idiot. But it didn't mean that they were unlearned. It mean that meant they were unregistered. They were registered with Christ and with their fellow Christians in a an assembly, a free assembly, where they took care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. If you do not go back to that way, do not expect God to save you. Do not imagine in your head that you are saved. Because you're not really believing in the real Jesus Christ who said you were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority one over the other. He said it was not to be that way with you. He said that in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And basically he said it in John in a dozen different ways. Why do you say you love me if you don't keep my commandments? And what was his commandment? To love one another, not take a bite out of one another. Not to covet your neighbor's goods. Peter tells you if you these covetous practices of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, which a church modern churches say is okay, is what has brought you back into bondage. It has weakened you as a society. You have degenerated as a society, so now they can force you to wear a mask. Now, a few of you will step outside the circle and not wear the mask or not get the vaccination. But a lot of people have gone and got it, make excuses. This never would have happened if all the churches were Christian churches. They're not Christian churches. They're workers of iniquity. Now, we have a page up at Preparing You called Home Churches. And I, I worked a little bit on that page I mean, there's plenty there that everybody should get it. Because I deal with these uh, several home church groups. And they're sitting there that, oh, I believe in Jesus. And it's so wonderful, our little group, our little congregation. We all believe and we all have this camaraderie and they love one another. But they don't. They have the emotion of loving one another. But they don't really love one another. Because if they need anything, they go to the men who exercise authority, who will bite their neighbors that they don't know, that aren't in their congregation, will bite the ones that are in their congregation. And force them to contribute to their welfare. They'll collect Social Security. Social Security has been broke from the beginning. It has never, ever, ever, ever been solvent. That's the law. We can You can look it up. Go same place, preparingyou.com, look up Social Security. We show you that if the government is in debt, Social Security is in debt. There is no separate funds. That's been ruled over and over again by the Supreme Court. It is in the rules for Social Security. Now, the media will say, yeah, they're dipping into the Social Security trust fund. That's all fake news. Fake news didn't start with COVID. Fake good news didn't start with the Pope, <laughs> or I don't know, or Billy Graham, or whoever you listen to. From the beginning, there's always been somebody trying to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They went and listened to him to see if they could entrap him in what he was saying. But they marveled often because, you know, my kingdom is not of your world, he says to Pontius Pilate. And he uses a word that Pontius Pilate understood, which meant constitutional order and system of government. My kingdom's not of your system of government. And, and I've shown, you know, on our pages where they, they finally outlawed private religion. That's what Christianity was, was private religion. They believed in an unseen God. But, you know, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your help. But God will come into you if you love your neighbor as yourself in the same love that God has for you, which means to give your neighbor the right to choose. To forgive your neighbor. You think you're forgiving because you believe in Jesus, but that's not what Jesus says. I mean, if you really believed in the real Jesus, yeah, you are forgiven. But how do you know if you believe in the real Jesus or not? Well, do you forgive others? So, you know, if you go to the page on home church at preparingyou.com, at least at the at the recording of this particular message, I say people would have to be in a hypnotic state to believe that Christ wanted them to pray at a modern church building, but if they actually need anything, you know, desire anything, they have a need, a physical need, they're, they're hungry, they're, they have no clothes, or they, you know, they have no coat. If they need anything, they should go to men who exercise authority one over the other and apply to them for social welfare through the state. No, that's not what John, John the Baptist was saying. No, if your neighbor has no coat and you have two, share. Do the same in meats. That food, that injustice lack of food should come to you because you sit down and share what you have with others who don't have enough. Now, that's not been a big problem in America since the pilgrims got away from communism and socialism and started to believe in uh, capitalism. You produce it, it's yours. You're the means of production. You have control over the means of production, but you're to live by charity. Once the pilgrims accepted that idea, which is Christ's idea, they prospered. Up till that point, they starved once a year. You know, every year they starved somewhat. I mean, half of the pilgrims died the first year. But once they shifted out, same thing at Jamestown. Go uh, at the same preparing you, uh, dot com. I have an article, uh, Strangers and Pilgrims. Just look that up. And you can read that. That's, that's my Thanksgiving. I sent it out on Thanksgiving, at least on Facebook. But the reality is, Christians think that it's okay to take a bite out of one another. That you don't have to take care of one another. Oh, they have some charity in all these churches. The Mormons, like we mentioned earlier, yeah, they, they have a lot of that. They used to have more. It's gotten less and less over the last few years. They used to have big grain storages and everything because they expected a famine and that the church would help provide for their people. And a lot of the people do have storage. I don't think it's a good idea to have it in gigantic storage places. Christ spoke about that. And they may 
uh, fare rather well, but they're a bit of a cult. They don't want you to leave. <laughs> they want to keep you in. You have to see things their way, and they have a lot of strange ideas. But not that other churches don't have strange ideas, too. But the rituals and ceremonies of the church established by Christ is to love one another. That That's our ritual and ceremony. Now, how you do that, that's between God. See, you, you don't join His holy church like I control the gate somehow. No. Jesus controls the gate. The Holy Spirit controls the gate. I'm not your comforter. Our ministers are not supposed to be your comforter. You're not supposed to join a church to get comfortable. You know, like that lesson plan at, um, what was it, Columbia? Was that where it was? Where it says that, you know, participants to consider their own wants and desires. No, you're to consider Christ's wants and desires. And you are to conform to Christ. And you can't conform to Christ. But the Holy Spirit can help you conform to Christ. And the Holy Spirit requires sacrifice. Not that you're going to earn it. But the Corbin of Christ. I mean, there was the Corbin of the Pharisees that was making the word of God to none effect. The word Corbin means sacrifice. So the sacrifice of the Pharisees, that what they were paying in was making the word of God to none effect because it was a forced offering. That's how they were taking care of the needy of their society and the government of Judea. If you signed up with the temple, a government building built by Herod, whether it was the Jewish temple in Jerusalem or the temple of Roma, it was still a system of forced contribution. Your sacrifice, your Corbin, was making the word of God to none effect because it was not a free will offering. Without that free will offering, you will draw, you will be drawn away from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will not enter into you. Because that word Corbin, that means sacrifice, comes from a word in the Hebrew language that means to draw near. This is how you draw near God, is that you lay down your life for your, for God, for Christ. And what did Christ want you to do? Love your neighbor as yourself. So he set up a system of charity by ministers who do not exercise authority one over the other, he called those ministers out, put some extra requirements on those ministers, and said, he actually commanded them to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands for the purposes of taking care of one another in faith, hope, and charity. Just what John the Baptist was setting up when you got baptized with John, you were not supposed to go and get the benefits offered by the Pharisees. And you wouldn't need to because John was organizing the people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. How do I know that? Because all Jews organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The synagogue was ten families. That wasn't, that wasn't spoken a lot about in the New Testament because everybody knew it from the Old Testament. And we show you that you can go all the way back to Nimrod was organizing the people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But it was from the top down. And so, if, going back to this uh, home church, 
where it's talking about, you know, taking care of one another, uh, Jesus was clear that his disciples were to instruct, uh, were instructed to not be that way of the governments of the Gentiles who forced the contributions of the people. While the, both Testaments are also clear that you may legally apply for a multitude of benefits from the socialist state or from men who exercise authority, you will not do it without consequences. And the consequence is, is that you will end up sitting in darkness. You know, the, there was a guy who, he's kind of a self-styled uh, prophet. And uh, he sent something that uh, I thought, you know, I don't know if he is a prophet or not. But he, sa- he says, as, as the time approaches uh, that he's warning people of false teachers. Well, I mean, there's been false teachers for an awful long time. But he said, uh, I said that the eagle will enter the dragon's lair and she shall be devoured. Now, what what does that mean? That's Whenever you're, you're going to... You know, what was it, Nostradamus? He is so cryptic. It can mean almost anything when you read this. And this is true is that we've been going through the minor prophets. And they're pretty cryptic too. And there's some reason or other, this is what the prophets do. They're very cryptic. And, and so maybe after the fact, if they are a real prophet, you can say, oh, well, he had it spot on. But before that, what does he mean eagle? What does he mean dragon's lair? Well, that kind of rang bells with me when the person said it but he said I also said that the bear will see her demise meaning the demise of the eagle and consume all that is of her well that could be true that could be true but what are, what do those symbols stand for and the reality is is that you if you're going to depend upon your knowledge and figure all these things out Eventually, his prophecy comes that the eagle will be no more. And the eagle was uh, she that caused the fall of civilization. And uh, for it was the eagle that caused the world to sit in darkness. Now, this is all, you know, I haven't talked to this person. I don't know what all these things mean. But that actually kind of rings bells in my own heart. But I don't follow prophets. I don't even follow, you know, when I read all these words and I go through and I study all the Hebrew and the, and the Greek and everything, I'm not doing that because I need to do that in order to understand what God was teaching, what Christ was teaching, what the name of God is. I study all that and put these all down and all these pages with audios going up on each uh, page to help you with your unbelief. Ultimately, I don't want you to follow me or what I say or what any of the other ministers say. I want you to follow what the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart. I want you to become in conformity with the teachings of Jesus Christ as they were really made. Now, can you tell me that you have conformed to Christ that you are sitting down in congregations that love one another and you do not covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other because Christ said it was not to be that way with you. Can you honestly tell me that you are doing that? 
there's probably some Amish people that are out there that are not forcing the contributions of their fellow Amishmen in order to collect free benefits from the governments who exercise authority. But they may be kind of cultish in other ways. You know, they... You know, it was always a kind of a joke that they, you ask them why they wear those outfits, and they say that we we don't want to, you know, wear clothes that draws it draws attention to ourselves. I says, well, it's not working because <laughs> those clothes are so different that it does draw attention to yourself. It segregates you out from other people. I wanted you to be segregated in your hearts and in your minds. Uh, because I want you to be cleaving to the way of Christ. Seeking. That's why he uses words like seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is simply not righteous to ask men, you know, with teeth to bite your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. I mean, that's, that's what Rome was all about. R- you know, Romulus and Remus, they always have the picture of Romulus and Remus sucking at the tits of a wolf, she-wolf. They were supposedly raised by this wolf, and they they got milk from the wolf. But the wolf produced milk by eating other animals. <laughs> so, you see the, the, the metaphors there, the symbolism there. Uh, well, America as the eagle... Flew high at one time. I mean, that was what made America great. Is that we took care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That if we had needs, we went to church. We didn't go to the government and pray for benefits. And we have that at Preparing You. Go look up our article on Davy Crockett. Uh, go up and look up our article on legal charity. The guy who wrote the book on what made America great. Alexis uh, Tocqueville. Alexis de Tocqueville. You can look him up as well. Uh, He was talking that legal charity destroys society. That's what Plutarch was saying. That's what Polybius was saying. That's what John the Baptist was saying. That's what Jesus Christ was saying. That's what all the prophets were saying. It brings destruction. It brings you back into the captivity of Egypt. When you depend on men who exercise authority to provide you with the welfare of society. It destroys civilizations. It darkens your eyes. You'll see that when we, we study Zephaniah. If you, if you want to look at a study that's already fairly completed, we just got Habakkuk up. I put up all the recordings on, uh, along with our study on Habakkuk. But we also had Amos. And so like somebody uh, uh, on a local group nearby, uh, not a part of the church, just a local community group, was quoting a quote from Amos. It was in Amos 5. I can't think of what the quote is right offhand, but it was in Amos 5. And I just went and took the link from Amos 5 at preparingyou.com. I gave a brief response and then put the link in. Nobody has posted to that group since. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an eye opener. It's often you know like uh, I had friends who just hit a deer the other night coming back from town, and uh, I guess they totaled their car. But uh, you know the deer when it got into the headlights, 
giving him back that deer in the headlight. Look, they just freeze. They just stop. They don't do anything. There's power in the truth. And the, there's power in the headlights for a deer. And he stops. And he, actually, a lot of times the deer, you'll see them with their head down when you're driving. And the, what they're looking at is the reflection of the headlights in the little shiny uh, gravel that is in the blacktop road. And they're seeing that all flicker back at them. And they're kind of mesmerized by that. Well, that's what happens to guys who go to these seminaries. Is they mesmerize you. They're not bringing you to the Holy Spirit. They're bringing you to a state of emotionalism. You know, uh, somebody was writing something about what you can prove. And, of course, uh, uh, Descartes uh, declared that cogito ergo sum, you know, I think, therefore I am. And uh, that's supposedly the only thing you can prove that you exist because you think. Something's thinking. <laughs> Something is imagining that you exist. That's that's the fundamental proof. Uh, we are uh, constantly doubting and, and, and or believing uh, our perceptions, what we think is true. You know you exist because I think, therefore I am. But identity requires some level of judgment upon which vanity may grow. And that's why Christ is saying, judge not, that she be judged. Now, when you gather in an assembly, we have some people that are looking for a special assembly that agrees with them. They're looking for a comfort in what they perceive from the group. No. <laughs> you don't want to get it from the minister or from the group. You do not want your ministers to be your comforter. You do not want your group to be your comforter. You want to bring whatever light you may or may not have into the group. And the group brings in the light that they, you know, the members of the group, the the, the free assembly. We don't want to use the word member. Free assembly. Each of them brings the light that is shining in their own heart. And guess what? Their light may show your flaws. Your light may show their flaws. It's not necessarily going to be comfortable. But the truth is seldom comfortable. You gather together to seek the truth of whether or not you know God and are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're, neither your congregation nor your minister is to be your comforter. That is the Holy Spirit. Now, what draws the Holy Spirit? Well, we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we can definitely see a problem where everybody is now enmeshed in legal charity. Legal charity mean compelled charity, forced charity, forced offerings that take care of the needy of society, pay your student loans, take care of your parents, etc., etc. And of course, Peter tells us this will, those covetous practices of desiring benefits at the expense of others will make you mer- merchandise, will curse your children and bring you back into the captivity of Egypt. 
And on the page at home churches, over there on the right side, I, I explain all this and every one of those statements, the captivity of Egypt, cursed children, merchandise, takes you to studies where Peter said these things, where the prophets say these things over and over again. And I've been putting in more and more footnotes all the time and links to articles that explain each one of these things. So you cannot de- deny this. Both the Testaments tells us that we're not to covet. And if we do covet those gifts, gratuities, and benefits of men who exercise authority, we are coveting the wages of unrighteousness, which destroy liberty and degenerates the people. The Bible tells us this because the Bible is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. You read it. I mean, I I listen to people tell me all the time, I've read it three times. I've read it five times. You don't understand it. If you understood it, you would not be doing what we have been doing for a hundred years in this country that has led us to this precipice of destruction. But people... How do we make people see? We don't. We can't make you see. We can only be the light in the room. We can only be like Christ. Seek to be like Christ. And we probably won't do that purely. But in the journey comes the purification. Because we immerse ourselves, not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. In order to do that, we have to lay down our life for our fellow man. In the name, in the character of Christ. In the character of God the Father. And that will alter us. That will bring light where there was darkness. And then our congregations will be filled with light. Which will drive away some who, who do not love the light, but draw others who do. Adam and Eve were driven away by the light of the cherub in the midst of the garden. They fled that light, just like they, they hid themselves. We are still hiding from the truth. We cannot repent unless we're willing to see the truth because we don't know, we don't know how to change our minds. We don't even know that we need to change our mind. And, and the modern church is in great need of changing the minds of their followers because the modern church is not the church established by Jesus Christ. The true church established by Jesus Christ would not be doing the things that the modern churches are doing. All 40,000 denominations of them. So the how a lot of people see a problem with the the institutional churches that are out there, and they certainly have delivered everybody into bondage. But so now we have the modern house church. Is it just another form of the modern church, with less pomp and ceremony, but doing the same things? In most cases, that's what I find. They are still doing. They are still going to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, one over the other. Why are they thinking that that's a good thing? You know, some will admit that the early Christian community was a 
quote, structured regional network of houses gathering of followers of Christ and the way. They will admit that. Uh, but they, what they often don't see is that one end of that network were these small groups of traditional ten families uh, gathered uh, in, in the, what the Jews would call a synagogue, which is ten families. Basically, a synagogue is ten families. But at the other end of that group, it was not merely regional. It was international, which is why we can see Paul traveling all over the Roman Empire, and Paul was picked to do this because Paul was Romeos. He could do this with impunity, somewhat impunity. And uh, he could also appeal to Caesar himself because he was Romeos. The, the administrative courts couldn't try him. And, you know, uh, but you have to understand Romeos. And we have an article up on that as well. It goes into the detail of why Paul really wasn't a Roman citizen. He was Romeos. He was in possession of his rights. Something a lot of sovereigns think they're in possession of their rights. But that's because they don't understand the contractual nature of government. We have so many ideas. And we, we address them all in the websites. I don't know if we address them all, but we address an awful lot of them. Like, is the Constitution a biblical document? Does it conform to the teachings that we find in both Old and New Testament. Obviously, it does not. That if you have your faith in the Constitution, you are doing contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ and Moses and even Abraham. You're doing contrary to that because, I mean, it tells you in Deuteronomy 17, 16, what you're supposed to put in a constitution. It has five things listed there. Only one of the five is in the Constitution of the United States, and they don't pay attention to that anymore. And you don't understand that, but now we have a whole book on it. You can buy the book, but we put it out there free. You can you can go and download it. We have articles uh that it cover each of the individual chapters. We have audios that cover each of the individual chapters that will explain to you that the Bible tells you that the Constitution of the United States is not biblical. It is not inspired by God. Now, I'm not against it. It's better than most constitutions, but it's not biblical. And there are clauses in it that are allowed to be in it that will get you into a lot of trouble and have already. And delivered you back into that bondage, that captivity of Egypt. But you have to accept the, at least this one idea of it's not right to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority, whether you call them government or not. That living by faith in God is not swearing allegiance to men. It is not becoming addicted to these benefits. So Christ showed us a way to sit down in companies of ten and gather in these ranks of service to take care of one another in faith, hope, and charity. 
And that's what you need to be doing. You need to, in that process, you will begin to forge the bonds of a free society, which, which are not oaths of allegiance, but compassion, uh, appreciation, uh, love for one another. You know, we have an article up on the golden calf. You can look that up. The golden calf was you take your gold out of your pocket and you put it into the golden calf. Moses said, no, you put the gold back into your pocket, in your own purse. And what binds you together is your system of social welfare. Those free will offerings that went to Levites who took care of the served the tabernacles of the congregation. You'll see that phrase over and over again. In the Old Testament. The tabernacles of the congregation. The tabernacle of each individual family. Because they all lived in tents. Tabernacle just meant tent. There was a big tabernacle that moved around all throughout Judea. But what bound the people together was first this system of charity. Where they sat down in tens, hundreds, and thousands and took care of one another. They also sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and attended to the weightier matters, what Jesus calls the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. We talked in previous shows about the Rittenhouse verdict. I didn't talk about the Arbery verdict, but I, I looked a little bit into that case this week in my spare time. And, uh, that, Although I don't think the verdict was just, it was legal. The verdict probably was legal. Now, they may find cause for appeal. I didn't look at the whole trial. I just looked at the rationale and the statutes. You have to remember that was an administrative court that was trying those guys. Now, if the the people who sat on the jury... They may think, I don't know, I haven't seen any interviews of them. They may think that there was something unfair about the verdict. They haven't been sentenced yet. But uh, they clearly violated the statutes on citizen's arrest. So they were clearly, or it appears to be clearly convictable based on that. Now, I haven't seen everything, but on the the surface, I understand what the, the prosecution is saying. But the reality is the jury, if it understood the system of juries in the first hundred years of America, at least up until about 1910-1911, you had the power of jury nullification. That even though the statute may say, oh, you know, you, you can only do this or you can only do that or the statute may say you have to get a vaccination or whatever. The jury could actually say, no, you don't. They could overrule that. And you can also go to preparing you and look up jury nullification. Just look up the word jury. And we, we show you that. We show you the actual laws. We show you the transition of America from courts of law to administrative courts. We, we wrote a whole book, The Covenants of the Gods, to show you how you went from being a free people to that captivity and bondage of Egypt in more ways than simply waiving a right to a portion of your labor. 
which is what they did. That's how they got into the bondage of Egypt, is they waived a right to a portion of their labor, 20%, in order to get free stuff from the Pharaoh. And that only came about because they had put their own brother into bondage. And that, of course, is why you're in bondage today. Because your parents and your grandparents have been putting your neighbors and your brothers into bondage so that they could have free stuff. For a hundred years we've been doing that. So now you're in bondage. Now you can deny that and say, no, I'm a free man. Well, you must be God too because you freed yourself. <laughs> you just nullified. You know, that's what Israel, when they went to Rehoboam and said, set us free again. You know, we, we've gone under this this rulership and they wanted to be free again. And Rehoboam said, no. They didn't say, what is Rehoboam to us? And walk away and go back to their own tents. We have a whole lesson on showing that, you know, they could go back to their cities or they could go back to their tents. If they went back to their cities, they stayed in bondage. If they went back to their tents, they they were free. But when they, when Rehoboam said he wasn't going to let them free, they didn't say, what is Rehoboam to us? They said, what is David to us? And they lost their inheritance. They, they were free of Rehoboam, but they lost their inheritance. Everybody, you know, I mean, this is why Paul is saying, if, you, if, if you're engaged in covetous practices, Paul says, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. All these churches are engaged in covetous practices. Two men who exercise authority, one over the other. All these people who say they're Christians have been living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others in covetous practices. And they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. But they think they're saved because they have believed a lie. They're under a strong delusion. Up there on that home church page, under you know, under the picture, it talks about hypnotic state. That's a link to the uh, article on strong delusion. That you believe a lie. You know, and we, we, we go through that whole strong delusion and deceivers. We were told that in 2 Thessalonians 2.11. We're told. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And the lie is, is that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. It's not. You need to repent of that. You need to think differently of that. And that's what Christ was saying. And if you don't believe me, then you don't believe Christ because that's what he said. Why do you call, say you love me and do not the things that I say? He's telling you. This is the delusion. All the modern churches... I shouldn't say all because I don't know all, but vast majority of the modern churches, many, shall say they believe, but they're actually workers of iniquity. And they have a cognitive dissonance about being able to see that. Because they sit in darkness. So the reason you gather together is to bring what little light you are beginning to see. And you come together not to be served, not to be comforted, but to serve others. 
Not to get others to believe you so that you feel confident in your beliefs because I got these other people to follow my beliefs. It's because you want to be of real service. There's all kinds of people who help the poor dealing with the injustices of food shortages. But they are they are leading the whole world by all the other things they do to into darkness, into famine, into destruction. And it's because they're they're not real willing to see the truth. And there's the those of you who are beginning to see the truth and beginning to wake up, you will have a sense of the fact that uh, there is a power in built in the power of God built into everything in the world, including the systems of the world. That will has consequences. When you repent, there's consequences. When you reject the ways of God, there's consequences. We live in a cause and effect universe. You know, if you if, and there's links on all these pages. There's so many links to it, so many articles. You know, so that you can understand the one purse of Proverbs is talking about the socialist state. The bondage of Egypt means that a portion of your labor belongs to the government. You have to work. If if, if a slave gets paid 20% of his labor, he's a slave. If he gets paid 80% of his labor, he's still a slave for 20% of the time. My father, when I was a little kid, seven years old, I asked him who he worked for. He says, until, this is the kind of legal mind he had. He says, until July 1st, I worked for the government. Well, he was a lawyer and he he knew that he was in a 50% income tax bracket. Not a 20%, a 50% income tax bracket. And so he knew that until July 1st, all the money he earns was going to go to the government for the year. Now, they do it, they break it up in the weeks, but it was 50%. So that's worse than the bondage of Egypt. <laughs> and you people who want to tax the rich... It's going to be worse for you because as you judge, so shall ye be judged. So Second Peter 2.18 For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through the desires for you, what you want, the benefits you want, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. By Second uh, Peter 3.17, he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the heir of the wicked, the wicked who covet their neighbor's goods, to the men who exercise authority, fall from your own steadfastness. And of course, that's what's happened. All prophesied by Christ, by Peter, by Paul. You've become workers of iniquity. Now, you may not have wanted to, but that is what you learned. That is the way you have followed. Now, I've, I've run across men from time to time who, in essence, do not want those benefits. They pay in, but they don't want the, 
benefits. But now here's the question that you can ask yourselves. How many people who have paid in for years and years and years and years and now are at the point where they could use those benefits? They, they feel they need those benefits. In some cases, they actually need them or they'll starve. They said, I paid in. I'm going to take out. And you, you can go to our page on Social Security and I quote Thomas Sowell, who's a genius of economists, should be quoted by everybody and is shunned by many. He says, you're not getting anything without taking away from others. Because there's nothing in there. There's never been anything in there. There is no trust fund. It's, it's never been separate. The reason they set up the system is because the government was bankrupt and it needed more assets. It needed more slaves. It needed slaves, period. That was... FDR, system of Social Security, brought you into the bondage of Egypt. Now, that's not the only problem. So the idea of getting out of that system is somehow going to save you. If you're, if you think you can throw away the number and then suddenly you're out of the system, young people will think that. Older people don't think that way. Because <laughs> they may need it at this point. And some may and may not. I'm just telling you what is the solution is what Christ said all along. What Moses said. That the people had to come together and organize themselves. Start taking care of one another. Start filling each other's water vases and helping one another. And there's, there's a little glint of that in the churches. And there are, there's quite a glint of that light in some of the people that go to the churches. And there may be some of that light in some of the people who start home churches. But I'm giving you the roadmap to the kingdom. Is that you do what Christ commanded. You sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and you start taking care of all of that. But you're going to find it difficult to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands if you come there with your own judgment. Judging one another. Depending on other people agreeing with you. Having your light. You don't have any light. None of us have any light. Except for the light of the Holy Spirit. That is the source of light. I mean, Satan can look like a light bringer. He can bring a light. But that's knowledge. That's information. That's emotion. The light of the Holy Spirit is spiritual. And that's the light you want to bring in. Not your personal wisdom, but the light of Christ, the light of the Holy Spirit, the comforter of Christ. You have no control over that. If you come in with the light of the Holy Spirit coming in with you, you will bring the light of the Holy Spirit with you. But you do not lasso him, you do not collar him, you do not chain him and bring him in. Because you did all this study in the seminary, or wherever you did it. The Holy Spirit lifts it where it wills, and it lifts it where those who conform to the will and righteousness of God gather together. And I can guarantee none of you are probably gathering in the way that you should. But you may all have 
some of that divine spark in your heart. We want to see that divine spark grow. And the, and the place it may grow the best is the place that Christ said for us to be. The place where Christ commanded his disciples to make the people go. Which was to sit down in this tens, hundreds, and thousands and create a society of faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and fealty. But anyway, so join us at Preparing You at the Network. Start sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.